We have two incredible guests today, Caitlin Ohashi and Coach Valerie Condos Field. Caitlin is a UCLA gymnast, poet, and all-around inspiring young lady, while Coach Val is one of the most successful college gymnastic coaches of all time. Now, you may know Caitlin from the viral video of her captivating floor routine from UCLA where she received a perfect 10. And in this episode, she shares with us the struggles and sacrifices of a young elite athlete, her journey with gymnastics, and even shares with us a couple of her own personal poems. While Miss Val, as she is known, shares her secrets for success and her special sauce of basically making a winner. You definitely do not want to miss today's episode, so stick around. Anyway, thank you so much, guys, because I am, like I said, so happy to have you. Great. We're thrilled to be here. <laughs> Great. Well, I don't even know where to begin because, as you guys know, just before we even started going live here, or not live, but started taping, I like basically was so obsessed with both of you, I just asked you a million questions prior, so we may have to kind of go over a couple of those things again. Um, I guess I'll start with, um, I'm going to start with you, Caitlin, right, because obviously your your videos were going viral and um, are viral, and you had that perfect 10. Now, I have a basic question. So you were an elite gymnastics uh, girl, and then you went to college. Can you guys first explain to me the difference? I think a lot of people are confused. So you can actually go into the Olympics after college, correct? Yes. You can, yeah, but it's <clears throat> rare. So typically, yeah, after college, gymnasts peak when we're like 16. So after college, we're like 22, right. which is really hard to get back into the Olympic mode because I would say there's two separate paths almost, which mm -hmm. is the elite route, which means you go through all the levels, and then when you surpass that, you want to go to the Olympics and on the national team and do international assignments, you go elite. And then if you want to do more so the college route, you go JOs, which is... Junior Olympics. Yeah, through um, level 10, and then you kind of go to college. And um, it's really, really different mindset. And But with that being said, you can go from the Olympics to college as well, as long as you don't take money. And go pro. So you have six all with the six all American titles. You won the two thousand and eight NCAA champion. 18, 2018. 2018. Two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen at floor and and also and as a team, and basically on the and, and also like way a thousand million other ones prior to that. So can you just first tell people like what your journey is because I think you were pretty vocal that you were kind of like very like disenchanted. With gymnastics for a while and, and kind of had to kind of get reintroduced and, and find your happiness again with it. So what kind of was your story with that? So I started gymnastics when I was three. My mom was a gymnast growing up and kind of put me in and I fell in love with it as soon as I touched any other equipment. And as I grew up, I showed a lot of potential. So when I was nine, there were no elite programs in Washington State. So we moved to Missouri, just me, my mom, and one of my brothers. Well, my dad and my two other brothers stayed back. And from there, I kind of, I kept going on this path. And by the time I was 12, I was on the national team. And I moved again to Texas and was training with Valerie Lucan, who's Nastia Lucan's father. 
And anyways, throughout my process, I remember just feeling like I was doing it for everyone around me, which can you imagine as a nine-year-old, I felt like I split up my whole entire family. Wow. And then I'm going through all the motions and no one ever really asked me what my goals were. And when they did, it was kind of like I felt like I had to save the Olympics because that's what everyone expected of me. Right. And so, yeah, I became super unhappy. And by the time I was 16, my back, my one of my vertebrae was sticking out from my spine. I could feel it and I could barely touch it without crying. And my shoulders had been in pain for probably two years. I My last competition was 2013 American Cup. It was my first and last senior debut oh <laughs> elite God. competition. And I won, and I remember coming home and I was just crying. And my mom was like, aren't you happy? Like, you just won. And I was like, I can't even move. And so finally went to the doctor and I was told I might not ever do gymnastics again, which was one of the most relieving things I've ever heard because I felt like I didn't have to be judged for wearing a Leo not being the right size and being criticized subjectively from what the judges saw and all these things went into play. And so I guess it took me a full year to finally miss the sport again. And I decided that for all the hard work that I've put in up until this moment, I needed to get something for it. And my coach persuaded me to look into college gymnastics. And that's when I kind of decided to call Miss Val and UCLA and that's, how I ended up falling in love with the sport again. Wow. So yeah, I read a bunch of that stuff. So before we get into Miss Val and the whole UCLA experience, um, what is kind of the regimen? Like, can you kind of walk me through like a day in the life of someone who is that young, who is at that high level? Like what actually happens? So you have to decide what you want, like as soon as you get into elite, because I gave up school basically to do gymnastics. Is that what people do? When, like, you actually it, give up? Well, and it's how like, old were you at this so point? You were 12, you I said? was 12, and I was going to school. I was missing the first half of school. No, like the last half of school uh, before I went elite. And then when I moved to Texas, we did two a day. So it was 8 to 12 practice, mm -hmm. and then we had a little break from 12 to 3, and then practice again 3 to 6. So 12 years old. Yeah, 36 hours a week. Wow. Now, what, what, is it true? And I, maybe this is just like one of those like urban or urban legends that like, or what wives tale that at that age, when you're pounding on your body to that level, it can stunt your growth. Is that true? It, I don't believe it stunts your growth, but all of the research that's been done on gymnasts, they have their lower vertebrae are rather smushed. Right. They're, they can, they, yes, they're, they're like condensed. condensed. Yeah. Because of the pounding. all the pounding at such a young age, do they put you on a diet regimen at that age? Are they? What are they? How are they? That you know, like it's pretty well known that it's so hardcore, especially in the gymnastic world like that. Like, and you talk about it, how brutal it is on on someone's soul, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Like, what do they do? Do they do they watch every calorie? Are they watching your? Like, what do they do? Are they physically or emotionally abusing your spirit? Like, what happens? Well, I would say that it's not so, I mean, we go home and we don't have to eat with our coaches, but it's kind of like, they'll look at you in the morning and be like, you look bigger, go run 45 minutes on the treadmill before you can start anything or things like that. And I'd love to give just a, a yeah, um, that qualifier, whatever it is, 
what she went through, how many years ago was that? How the 22, so 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, ever In the last five, six years, things really have been, oh, that's, that's a lie. In the last two or three years, things have been changing. Um, so I think that a lot of what she experienced was the old school. Right, because she was style of coaching. And even her coach, Valerie, has come forward since then and said, I was a different coach then than I am now. I've learned a lot. Hopefully we all evolve. Hopefully we all keep learning. Um, but what she's describing is absolutely true. But it, it came from the Eastern European style of coaching, which is how they were coached. Right, it's all from different generations. And the people, they just take what they've learned and then they use and it. And they were successful. And they were successful at it, right. But I still think you hear a lot of it. Like you hear like little bits and pieces that it's brutal, it's this. But like I wanted, I wanted to get into like the actual detail of what happens. Like from you wake up in the morning, you go from eight to twelve. While you're doing that, are they like, are they hammering you? Like in terms of like every little nuance of what's happening, right? Then you go for your little break, you come back, you do it again. I mean, besides the rigorous training, what is the what's the emotional impact? Are they telling you things that you you're doing? Are, are they like just picking on you to a place to rip you apart and then to build you back up again? Like, what is that process? You know, I would say um, how she described it um, was it was kind of like you wanted to do it out of fear, and it wasn't someone trying to build you up and encourage you to do all these things because you wanted to. It was like do this or this will happen. So we would. We were scared of getting conditioning mm -hmm. as like some of our repercussions for falling or things like that. And let's say I just talked to a coach this weekend. She was like, her girls asked her why she weighed them. And she was like, I don't know. She's like, I have no idea. I never looked at the chart. She never did anything with the numbers. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And she's like, I just saw everyone around me doing that. And that's what I thought was the standard mm -hmm. to be a coach. And so just things like that, I feel like everyone thought that you had to coach a certain way and that was the only way to success was by terrifying your gymnast into doing the right things. And so I know coming in, I would get like anxiety. I, my hands are already sweaty, <laughs> like drip sweat before <laughs> we even started practice because I would be terrified of what the day held. And it's unbelievable. Like that's what I kept, I, it's, and that, and what I, what's so surprising to me is that mo like more people haven't been like you, who kind of was like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know. Bye. Yeah, because you have parents mm -hmm. and coaches, but parents right. that say, uh, uh, we put this much time and this much money, and right. we separated the family. You're not quitting now, right? There's such pressure, right, to keep continue even if you're unhappy about it, and that's why you see all these years later all this like torment in people in their lives, right? Because they were like not living true to what they wanted. So I guess enter you, Miss Val. I love how people call you Miss Val. It's because of the dance, because in dancing they call you, people say Miss so-and-so, right? Right. So I love that. So you were a dancer, you were a ballet dancer. You were not even close to being a gymnast. Oh gosh, no. I right. did a cartwheel uh, two years ago on my 50th birthday. Oh, you did? I thought I saw you did a pull-up. You, you could barely do a pull-up. No, I can't. Do yeah, anything. you could barely do a pull-up. <laughs> you tried. You tried to do a pull-up. I'm getting there. I may need your help. 
to oh, get that. I've never done a pull-up my whole life. Okay, I'll help you. I have some, I, in my gym, I have some assistant bands we can work on okay. later on if you Appreciate want. That. You're welcome. No, I've never done gymnastics. And so what do you think, what, what do you think that one trait of yours is that you're able to transition from being a, a, a ballerina to being like this you know, world-renowned gymnastics coach? I think that I understood the discipline from classical mm -hmm. ballet. Right. And that translated well to, like you said with Caitlin, every moment she was in a gym for eight hours a day was regimented. Mm -hmm. It was she was told what to do, how to do it, and scrutinized, you know, under a microscope the entire time. And that's quite often the ballet world. It's it's so hard that every little nuance has to be how you point your how you point your foot is is taught and scrutinized. So I understood the discipline of what went behind being a great gymnast, but I think the biggest difference in how I coach and how traditionally gymnastics coaches coach is I did it, my reward was being on stage and being so excited and preparing well enough that I was calm, that I was excited to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And the performance was my reward. It wasn't getting judged by another human being mm -hmm. and getting a score. Right. You say that in the book, and I thought that was so true, right? Because as a dancer, as long as you can perform beautifully and like feel good and you're doing your steps and you're graceful, you're good. Every time that a gymnast goes out, there is a judge scrutinizing right. them with, with a card, eight, seven, nine, ten. It's a whole different ball game. Now So when we when we have spoken together uh, quite a few times. Right. And it's really interesting because we'll start off and I will talk about how I became, how I decided to coach, what, how, what became my why mm -hmm. in coaching? Because I really don't care about winning at all costs. So what's the why? And I realized in athletics, as you have realized with your um, businesses and, and, and personal training and all that, that I got to develop champions in life through sport because what you learn through sport and the discipline of athletics mm -hmm. is different than anything you learn in the classroom. I agree with that 100%. It's the same, it's the same traits, discipline, goal setting, like resilience. pushing past, yeah, yeah, resilience, pushing past barriers, right. 100%. But do you think it also what made you so unique and why you are who you are was because you, I saw that you said this too, you put the, the human before right. the athlete all the time. All the time. And so my why, or how I've coached, the last, I don't know, probably 25 years of my 29-year coaching career is I absolutely know my why. Every day, every decision I make, every choice I make is to help develop her into the biggest champion she can be in life that will then translate to the competition floor. Yeah. And when we talk about this, and then she talks about her why in growing up in the world of athletics, in the world of sport and gymnastics, was night and day compared to my why. And her why was... What was your why? My why was to win. It was right. expected of me. I was supposed to compete the perfect skills, the hardest skills, and do them super well. And that still wasn't enough a lot of the time. So like, even when I won American Cup, my last competition, it didn't feel like it was enough because it wasn't the best me. And I could have done better. And there were people... Uh, I mean, I did. <laughs> I did win. But yeah, there's still say. people out there that are better than me who time. okay first of all i want to say this because you said I, I read this thing that you said that <laughs> even when you didn't even care you're still winning 
So that brings me to a point, like how much of all of this is just sheer undeniable talent, right? Versus work ethic and discipline and practice. Because there's always this like, you know, um, this conversation, like if you just work really hard and if you're super disciplined and you can, you can like get to your level, but some people just have innate talent. Yeah. And it's a, like, who, one of you answered that question. Like, were you just that much better than everybody else? She is, she is one of the most talented athletes. Of all, of ever. Like, ever done a sport. She is ridiculously talented. And when you see her floor routine. Oh, it's, it's, okay, okay, it's crazy. Sure talk about, but, um, not just that one. I've seen multiples of them. Like, multiples floor routine. I didn't just watch the one that was a 10. Mm -hmm. I watched the 9.5 ones, you know, also. You're just ridiculous. But when you see her go boingy, 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 yeah, and twist and flip and twist and land and boing and all that, there are a lot of that gymnasts that are the best in the world right now that they can't get that in their minds. She is, I think Caitlin is ridiculously physically talented, but she's also mentally tough. She's got the heart of a champion. She's got the mind of a champion. And I think what made you so great in the elite world was that she was as just tenacious. It was like she was going to figure out how to do it, A, so that she didn't have the repercussions, mm -hmm. retaliation, get in trouble, whatever. And she was just going to like dig in and like say, fine, I'll do it. And she's so mentally tough. Mentally, it's all about mental toughness. She could do it. There are a lot of athletes that simply can't. Talent, physically talented or mentally. She's one of the strongest mentally strongest athletes I've ever I've ever met of any sport and then that's what I was gonna say well this is what I mean I'm all that's what I preach always a mental toughness get mentally strong right first but still you still have to have that physical talent yeah, yeah. to actually do what you're doing mean, I, I think I, I mean I think I'm mentally tough I'm sure you know Joe Blow beside you is, is mentally tough but to get to that level mm -hmm. you have you have to have both so uh, such a high level of both, I guess, is my point, right? Like, and so what? Ha like, what happens? So you go. So what happens now? Like, you finished college, obviously, and now you you're technically retired, right? So what do you do now with with it? Um, so I've been traveling a lot, actually. I just got back last night. I was gone for like eleven days. I was kind of everywhere. I've, I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements. And then in between, I'll go work summer camps with little kids and like be a little VIP and help them out, get where they want to go in gymnastics. And I guess that's what I'm doing for the next couple months. And when the spring fall comes around, fall, yeah, fall. I'm going to hopefully finish up this poetry book that I've been working on. Right, you said you were into poetry. And we're going to get to the poetry guy. Yeah, I already have that right down. Okay. But she's doing her first professional gig oh, yeah. gymnastically. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. What is it? Okay, so I have to keep reminding her. What do you mean you're doing a so you get so professional means you're getting paid for, been, right? I've been doing my layout routine. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Everywhere I've been going. Okay, good. So job. what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you're doing it professionally now? So there's a, get paid to there's do a, it? Yes. Paid. Okay. But there's the first ever inaugural Aurora Games. I, I saw that. Okay. You're there doing that too. August. Yeah. Well, I'm. You're commenting. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're involved. I'm gonna get judged. Um, Let's do a somersault and call it a day. Like, but it's that. gonna be really, really cool. It's it's six different sports over six days. ESPN is covering it. Seventy-five different countries are picking it up, 
and there's a gymnastics day. She's one of the gymnasts that will be coming in and competing um, on floor and beam. And what it means is she finally gets to get paid to, to show off her beautiful skills. So what, but why, okay, let's go back to the Olympics. That's what I was trying to, okay, so yeah. technically, are you able or allowed to go to the Olympics after college? Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. But you just have no, you just don't want to, correct? Right. Well, I'm, so it's like, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. I think the level is so, so much different. My body is still broken. Like, I haven't got, they wanted to do surgery on my back and things like that, and I just, I never got it done because if I my body could hold out for college gymnastics and I wouldn't have to do surgery. I mean, I got shoulder surgery and I, my shoulder still bothers me so much. So, right. and plus the Olympics, think about it, four girls every four years goes. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't done an international competition since I was 15. And you have to be in the scene for a while right. to show that you are capable um, reliable and all these different things that go into it and my body just would not be able to handle 36 hours of training right. plus the skills level is way higher than what i'm doing right now and what i've been training for the past four years right because i saw that also i was looking in your book that there's a difference between when doing college gymnastics versus the olympics like the college you can do much more fun playful happy and with the olympics and that's probably what we were saying earlier it's much more technical correct well, the skill level is is Night and day. Right. So tell, um, tell us the difference. I mean, she's, if she were to go, if she were to start training for the Olympics, she would probably have to add six more skills to her beam routine. Not, it still can only be a minute and a half long. So you've just got to take out a lot of the fun stuff and a lot of the dance and just add these hard skills. On floor, as wonderful as her floor routine is, mm -hmm. she would have to upgrade substantially um, and learn new skills. And so it's not, honestly, Caitlin physically and mentally could do it. Her body could not handle, as she said, the 36 right. hours of training. She would literally be even more broken if she did that. How did you learn, okay, so when you transition from now to being a, this great uh, gymnastics coach, how did you learn all this? Because this is like a, this is no joke. Like you're, you're not like being a coach for oh, uh, no, 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 my, my, not... my preschool gymnastics, yeah. my kids, my four-year-old no. gymnastics thing. This is massive. Did you have a, what was a learning curve like? No, there, <laughs> you know? I'm still in the preliminary stages of the learning curve. I, I, I hire very good people to help me. I like my assistant coaches. One of them was an Olympian. The other one was a national champion. I, I surround myself right. with a really great, technically sound right. people so that I know what I'm good at. Why would I teach her a skill in gymnastics when they can teach it so much better than I can? Absolutely. Stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I will never forget my freshman year. She asked me something about my leaves, and I looked at her, and I was just like, I literally was angry. I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I love it, though. But at least you know. At least value know what you're good at and what you're right. not good at and then you delegate to people to things that you're not as good at that which right. that makes you a good leader i believe it does right yes. what, what are other things that you think make you a good leader and made you who you are oh. uh a the fact that i knew nothing about gymnastics so i had to ask a hundred thousand questions mm -hmm. a day and that's still how i coach mm -hmm. you know she's on balance beam and she either does a skill well or doesn't. I go, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? What were you telling yourself before you went? Are your, is your mind in the game? 
I don't assume to know. And I think so many coaches mm. coach from their egos. Yes. That they have to be right and they have to have all the answers. And that's when they that's where they get hooked up. So I think that was one of the greatest gifts that I had was that I, I knew nothing. I couldn't pretend like I knew anything. So I had to ask a lot of questions. And then you said that um, there's four different character traits, for di four different coach types, uh -huh. right? Can you go through that? Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Um, I know. It's because there's so much yeah. here. I would have to do part one, part two, part three. It's like a mini series of podcasts here. I just, I just um, identified four different styles of coaches and... You know, one of them is the egotist, where the coach that just has to be right at all times. And they think that they're not a good coach if they don't have that posture of, I'm the ultimate. I think the majority, I think every single successful coach is a great strategist. Right. right. And you have to be a great strategist. But there are coaches that are only strategists. And I feel that Marta Caroli, who was the mm -hmm. last leader of the, of the U.S. team, she was a brilliant strategist. She knew how to train the skills. She knew how to structure the routines so that they would be well received internationally. Mm -hmm. She knew what judges were looking for. She knew how to prepare them. Even though it's, I feel she stripped the joy out of the learning process, which she didn't have to do. She still knew how to make them mentally tough. She was a pure strategist and she was very successful at that. But she was not successful at taking these young girls and fortifying them from the, empowering them from the inside out mm -hmm. to be the best all around human beings they could be. She only focused on the gymnastics. Right. Program. And you focused on the, the human being as mm -hmm. itself. So but there was one strategy um, that I read, and I think you said you also took part in this. I don't remember the color. Um, basically, what you do in practice is just as important as what you do when you compete. Mm -hmm. So you take the entire, you look at the entire picture because you want, how you do one thing is how you do everything, correct? Is that? job. Because mm -hmm. I believe in that. I, I say that all the time. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So when I read that in your book, it like resonated with me. A lot of the stuff that you did, seriously, was like on point with so much of that I believe in. And this podcast. Um, so you did that as well. Like, what, explain that. Like, what was, how did, like, when I say, how did you coach? I want to know, like, tactically what you did daily that okay, was so well, different. If you ask Caitlin Ohashi, what's the one thing that I want you all to learn before you, if there's only one thing to get out of this program? Life is a series of choices, and the choices we make dictate the life we live. So basically, everything starts with our mind. And going back to, like, how you um everything you practice is how you compete and that's what i'm trying to teach the girls right now because it's crazy how like sloppy we see them right like practicing and it's like how do you expect to go into something where there's more adrenaline there's nerves and all these things and expect to do better right and Absolutely. that's why technique is so crucial because it just emphasizes everything else when you go and have a little bit extra stuff so how does that implement how do you implement that in practice like give me an example it starts off with walking in the gym it starts off with, your, are you walking in the gym with a great uh, attitude and gratitude, honestly? Mm -hmm. And we start off most days in the gym closing our eyes, taking a few breaths, and just thinking of something that we're grateful for that we have not earned. For them, it's a strong mind, a strong body. You didn't earn it. You are born that way. Let's give gratitude for that. And let's give gratitude for a second thing that I 
firmly, firmly want to implement into our daily training is we live in a country that allows us as women to do sports. And we can't ever take that for granted mm -hmm. because there are a lot of young girls around the country right. that can't. So when you start off your training with that appreciation and gratitude, every little choice you make, as Caitlin said, then is magnified and is given importance to. So how she warms up, how they do their, their warm-up, which are, I mean, they do a full 45 minutes of warm-up and conditioning before they go to the events and start training. So uh, if you start your day with that kind of intention, mm -hmm. then yeah, every sit-up you do is you're giving more intention, right? Absolutely, I agree with this 100%. Right, and so, because I would say, like, it looks like the college uh, regiment, uh, you're, you guys are competing every weekend, right? You're doing, like, so much more competitions. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. I think that's something that... It's, and, and, yeah, I think to, it's a huge deal. In elite, they... Very, very little. They're competing, like Simone Biles, will compete maybe three or four times in a year. Right, and you guys compete every weekend. Fifteen times in four months, which is great. But that, but like that's so really, and again in your book, it says like where who said it? Someone on your team wasn't you, but there was someone else on one on, on the team. That's what the 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 collegiate the way the college gymnastics. That's what made her mentally tough. Who said yeah. that? Bonnie Willis said, right. college is when you get mentally tough. You get mentally buff. Right, yeah. mentally buff. Mm -hmm. And so like that that to me is extraordinary. So if you guys are only competing in the elites four times a year, and then you go to the collegiate, like sometimes you could, would it be the opposite? Like you couldn't hack it in college because because it's so much more easy, I guess you would call it, in the elite in terms of the constant uh, competitions. Or is it the same, is it the same? Do you know what I mean? Like you're not competing as often, so do you feel like mentally it's a, mental, it's a little bit it's easier? A, no. Oh. oh, an elite? An, an elite, like you're not, <laughs> Because you're scared, but you're because your your training schedule is hardcore, like twelve hours. I remember a day. someone someone on the team asked me how I was so mentally tough, and I was like, my practices were just as rigorous and nerve wracking as competition is now. So like, right. and they also split up in elite. It's like you have two competitions in the summer, and then like at least one in the winter. So you have to be ready year round so you're doing routines you're still doing the same but yeah because yeah, you're practicing as much you're just not like out there competing yeah whereas in college you are practicing and you're, you're also competing all the time you just college. exert a lot of energy in college on the weekends and then it's like exactly. maintaining on the weekdays and then so you can go out and be ready for the i've had elite athletes come into the program and when they've been halfway through like February, our season starts in January, so February, so they go, oh my gosh, Miss Val, I am wiped out. I never realized how hard it was going to be mentally and emotionally to have to get up weekend after weekend after weekend. And coming from the theater world, dance world, yeah. that's what, like think about Broadway stars. I know, I'm thinking that. Right? And they've got, to, they've got to figure out how to make that performance fresh. Eight, eight performances a week. And... Yeah. That is what they've what they experienced, which I love about college. They've done all the training before they get to us. Yes, they still learn skills, those that want to in college and should, but it's really a mental game that they're dealing with. It's all I mental. Love. Yeah. I love it. Do you have time in college then to date and like go out with friends <laughs> and like oh my gosh. 
I, you could do three podcasts on her, the men in her life. I could have. I, I could have. Well, I mean, like you're like a little superstar, I would imagine. But do you actually have physical time to to see these men, or is it just text? Because you guys, all you guys do is text, and you're on Instagram. Like oh you're 22 my years old. Well, and I know, but to get to all your list of things that they're not allowed to do, which I think is very, right. it's very interesting. But do you have time? Like, are you going on dates? Do you have a boyfriend? Do you, well, you, you could you could ask her. I gave out my number to everyone my freshman year. And everyone? I, everyone on campus. I think, <laughs> I think by the first week, 500 people had Caitlin Ohashi's phone number. <laughs> what? Just because you're that friendly? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. And I could, I could never do the whole thing where it's like, give them a fake number or something like that. Or like, I was always so uncomfortable being like, no, you can't have it. So, <laughs> so you just gave it to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, Caitlin, that's you can't. Hilarious. I was like, that's what she got in trouble for. You cannot give your number to people. Why not? That's hilarious. And, and that's just still like, so I meet a lot of like people through Instagram, just like really, really amazing people. And she's like, well, did he get, or did he get in his car? I'm like, of course not, Miss Val. He got in mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did. <laughs> oh my god, that's yeah. hilarious. So like, I guess you do have time then. Yeah. You I, make time. I guess you make time. Right. It's everything you have to prioritize. It's, prior everything. it's priorities, right. So you get your gymnastics. I mean, we have to be there. And then guys. So, and then, and then of course, and then guys. <laughs> and, and then, then friends and then guys. schools. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but college, you can only train four hours a day. You, that's, that, that was my question. So, how, what is the training regimen yeah. there? Is it for only four hours a day? Only, all sports can only train. For and, the, and then you're free to do whatever you want. And you got class. Oh, besides the class. Then, <laughs> I forgot about that small part. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you are not helping me. Yeah, this at I'm all. sorry. I know. Well, I, I, I would think that the guys should be like, the guys are like number one or two. I mean, you are 22. That's the problem sorry. with your freshmen. Well, they're young. I mean, that's what I'm saying. But the big. You know, the thing always that people say is when you're an athlete at that level in college, you, you don't have a, you don't get a life. Like you don't get to be a kid. You don't, you're not able to like enjoy whatever the other extracurricular activities in college, are. college they do. Yeah, but, I would say in college, growing up. Cause but in high school, you probably didn't. In high school, no. Except, so until I got injured, I didn't have like a boyfriend or anything like that. And then in college, you get wow. to do the whole thing. But now it's like. I have less time now than I did in college, so I literally do not have time for a boyfriend. Really? Yeah. So you have no boyfriend right now? Mm -mm. Yeah, whatever. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> I really last all of like three and a half minutes. Um, That's hilarious. So what happened your freshman year, Kate, when you came in and I would ask you to do things? I would tell her that I want, every time she asked me to do something, I want to do the exact opposite. Really? Yeah, because, okay, so. Don't listen, you love the fact she's so honest with you? I do. I like, that's what I liked about her in general. I feel like she didn't want to be great. I saw also, you, you said you didn't want to be great anymore. Like, you just said right. you have, like, you're very, like, honest with who you are. And I think that's super refreshing in, in life, you know. Thank you. No, you're welcome. I'll continue. My mom always tells me, she's like, you're too honest. Sometimes you have to tell people what they want to hear. I'm like, oh, I'm not good at that. Yeah, nor am I. Maybe that's why I like you. Nor am I. I gave you a lot of trouble. And Val, I don't think you'd be, I think that you're pretty much on our account. You don't seem like the type to hold back. You're pretty, you're pretty blunt. Why would you not be honest with someone? You're preaching to the converted, honey. I agree with you. That's yeah. why we're all sitting here laughing yeah. and liking how, each other. How disrespectful is that when you're not honest with them? Well, I think that when sometimes people take it, I know when people, when you're blunt, people don't like honesty or bluntness. They, they like to have things kind of sugar-coated for them. It's more palatable for them. 
again in your book, you said you like to be blunt but with respect. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say it? Yes. Mm -hmm. She says you can say anything as long as you say it honestly and respectfully. But sometimes it's difficult to so be respectful. So can I tell you how many times over the last four years, Caitlin, she has come to me and she goes, okay, so you always say, I can say anything I want to as long as it's honest and respectful. And then she just like laughs at something. I mean, I'm going, keep your cool, keep your cool, keep your cool. I did tell her she can say anything she wants as long as it's honest and respectful. And I respond. <laughs> and as when she said, I just don't want to be great again. I was like, I know, and then, then look what happened. And then she's great anyway, though. That's the irony well, of this whole thing. freshman year, she was good. Well, Thank not you. great. Wow. Okay. That's the first time I've ever heard her say good. Good? Yeah. Why would, would you say it before? It's, she would say, you're recently, you would. Yeah. Really? Okay, well, how do you compare to the rest of the team? Number one, you guys all get along. Yes. Okay, yeah. Of course, you're going to say that. There's no I mean, infight. There's no. You guys are all competitive 20, by nature. We're 20 girls yeah, together. Of 20 course, girls. there's like little petty things every once in a while. But I would say our team is honestly very, very close and tight, and we love each other. That's such a PC answer, though. Like it's so no, but it's it true. true. It truly is. Like we'll hash something out, and then she make like she'll make us go and hug the person that we just had conversation with. Yeah. Okay. Even though this, I mean, because you have like, you have like, it's like a perfect storm. You have a bunch of girls who are young in college who are also like hyper competitive. So you bring that all together. I can, I thought like it would be like a, just a shit storm basically over there. Well, they Excuse had, my French. The, all our coaches ingrained in our heads that at the end of the day, as much as we want to be on the lineup, mm -hmm. it's for the team and we'll do whatever it takes to be a part and a good teammate. So everyone was happy for you when you when but, you got that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and be honest. You no, know, be honest. I, I am. But the reason why they were all happy for her and the reason why we saw them in the background doing her routine with her and all that is because the more celebrity Caitlin got, the more humble and appreciative she became. And so she never showed up late. She never did any of that where she's the celebrity that's got, I mean, her plate was so much more filled than all of theirs were right. through the whole season, but she never used that or said, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. She, she, it's like coming in the gym every morning was her safe space that she could just be Caitlin and not have to be and the other girl, and all that. And the other girls weren't jealous. Um, I believe that they were to a point, but you couldn't act, they couldn't act on it because she was so much she was such a great team she was player. gracious she was gracious Extremely. about it right so you because of, because you were gracious they weren't outwardly um upset with you and she was extremely appreciative of it all so what happened so basically you get this thing happen what what was the outlet what happened afterwards did every media outlet come like basically banging down your door what happened yeah so um i just remember my phone blowing up the next day and then my parents actually were in town. My mom was going to stay the whole month of January, and my dad was leaving that Monday. And so she's driving to the airport. She's like, no, I don't know what's happening, but this is happening. We're staying. So she turns around. He ends up staying. The next day, we got flown out to New York to be on Good Morning America. Right, I saw that. Both of them have never been to New York. 
So that was super, so super amazing yeah. for them. And it was my mom's birthday, like the following week. So I was like, happy early birthday. Oh, well, you were on with her though. Yeah. Well, you went, so they flew you guys up to meet Val and you and your parents. Yeah. Okay. And so um, we did that whole thing. And then, and then that weekend I had a competition. So it's like I was in New York one day and then Stanford the next. I remember girls were like, wait, weren't you just like, <laughs> yeah. so it was, it was a lot and I had to, coordinate a lot of things with school and make sure that I wasn't missing anything. Luckily, a lot of my classes were during practice anyways. So I yeah. <laughs> so I had all night off. <laughs> yeah, hold on. So companies did call you for big endorsement deals? I thought like Nike well, would be like banging down your door. Well, so NCAA is, um, NCAA, you can't have any endorsements or take any money or be sponsored by anyone. So you have to kind of hold everyone off. Like I was getting a couple emails here and there, but I would be like, I can't do anything. Like get a hold of me in three months. Really? Yeah. Amazing. April 21st. Okay. Yep. Last competition is the 20th. Let's go. April 21st. Wow. So then who do you have now? Is, is anyone sponsoring you now that you're officially retired? I mean, I just did a, my fat fit fun post this morning. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I got a box. Okay. And let's see. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to meet with some, um, athletic wear companies. There are a few things in the works coming out shortly that she can't speak about. Okay. It's secret right now. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to come back and talk to you about that yeah. afterwards. But just from Instagram alone, like with, you have, what, almost a million followers, you would think you'd have a lot of, like, partnerships just on Instagram alone coming because of who you are, right? Is yeah. that, are you allowed to do that now? I am. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, so okay. I'm, I don't know. Working on everything's kind of a Process. You know what's cool about her? She doesn't jump up. She's not intrigued by the celebrity of it. She is intrigued by, as, as you have been, I, I mean, I've stalked you as well. Okay, good. I stalked you too. Okay, great. <laughs> um, is she's intrigued. She's only interested in the things that really speak to her. Platform. Right. That's interesting for her. Versus being a celebrity. She doesn't care about well, that. Well, that's what's interesting. For someone so young, you would think that, again, it's because of the mental, it's a mindset because you were trained and maybe conditioned so young for men uh, mentally that I think maybe that's why. Because I think a, a lot of times when you're that young, people do, if you're not, if you don't have your head on right, you jump at everything, right? And you get really like just overwhelmed and like excited about every little potential thing. I would say that throughout my college career is kind of where I started building my platform. So my sophomore year of college, I wanted to work on sharing like a positive positive message and I started my blog and really got into poetry and so I had already set up my platform and how I wanted it to be and as Ms. Val would say the universe opened its doors for me with the viral video which I'm so thankful it happened my senior year when I feel like I kind of stepped into myself more than any other year before that and so I was really solidified with who I am and who I want to be and continue growing in that direction. So I don't want to just take things because I have I got this much money. It's more so about what speaks to my platform and what direction do I want to continue going in. Well said, Caitlin. See why you're a, you're a poetry. Uh, well, tell us. That, but now we're talking about the poetry. So now is that something you're taking much like, very seriously? You're writing it daily. What are you doing with the poetry? Um, so I did an independent study last year over. Um, and so I got one of two of my professors that I really, really enjoyed having, and I had them. Were you a good student, by the way? Do you mind me? 
Um, okay. No, not at all. <laughs> I she didn't care. I I get inspired easily, but I don't like school. Yes. So feel that she's a very good student. The, like most of us, with classes that she really liked. Right. And she did what she had to do to get through the classes she did. Yeah. So it was like okay. I love poetry, so why not use it to my benefit and create my own course? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, so wow. I created my own course, and I did, I wanted to finish a poetry book by the end of it, so it's all activism. I think wow. I bought like 55 poems in there, and towards the end of the course, I decided that I wanted to add photography into it, so I wanted to turn it into sort of a coffee table book that shows deep messages within the images, and then on top of that, kind of explains the images with the words. I'm still so, working. So you know, uh, you know the moms that you know the moms that say, "Oh, Johnny, come in here and play something on the piano." Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you share just a little uh uh of your my favorite? Oh, poem. so this is the Johnny yeah. moment right now. Your yeah. favorite poem? Yeah, mm -hmm. like about your eyes and things that you have on there. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I thought you were that hard. No, it's so weird because I don't. I like. I should. I say it all the, the other time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I wrote a new one. Oh. How many, so do you, what, do you write every day? Is that what you do? Um, it's a, no, I don't write every day. I think during a period I was writing every day. But it's kind of like if I get inspired, I'll be sitting, I'll really be during, sitting there during work and something will pop in my head. And then I'll like write it down real quick and then go home. And It's only when I'm feeling really, really inspired or passionate about a certain topic. Oh. Because I can't, I mean, I can force myself to write write things right but that's not when it's super genuine and sincere like I'll force myself to pre-write something gotcha but not poetry gotcha okay you want to read that <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> oh she's looking for the Wi-Fi uh oh okay we'll see if this it's loading well while, while that's loading why don't, why don't we talk about what do you, is there any kind of habits daily habits that you do every day still even though you're not practicing four hours now a day or 12 hours like you used to? I, I feel like I never really had that many habits besides the, the things that I was forced to do. Yeah, right, right. Like, I don't like routine. So, and right now... You, okay, hold on. You don't like routine? Is that... Did you just say that? Yeah. Isn't that the biggest irony I've ever... First of all, you don't like routine, but your whole life has been one big routine. Literally, work-wise, personally, and professionally. Like, you do routines for for... For a living, I suppose, and your life is very routine. That's weird too. Yeah, and I think that's why I don't like routine. <laughs> uh, I've done it my whole I guess life. so. So, so now you don't want to do anything routine. So it's, well, in college too, like anything that I had control over and I could do whatever, I feel like I would try to integrate new things and like try to get inspired by things outside. Like I mean, I would go to like homeless shelters and get involved with like what uh, the, the kids Project yeah. Heal. And then I started doing a project with our stu uh, student for student room shelter, which oh, is a okay. shelter within the school. So I just like try to fill my time with different things every day. We we she got involved with room shelter, which are the homeless students. Um, and Is I homeless students. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because I felt so badly that I'd been at UCLA for 35 years. I didn't know we had homeless students. How is that possible? There are homeless students in every campus. So what? So they get into school and, and they have nowhere to live, and they have nowhere to live, and so they're they go to churches that have shelters, and they're very. You don't know they're there because they're embarrassed about their situation. 
And so oh, they'll, wow. they may sleep in the libraries or um, just they make ends meet. And I'm just so <gasps> impressed with their fortitude and their stick-to-itiveness that getting an education is that important to them. So how do they get in? Are they on scholarship or what is the... Um, most likely partially scholarship and then they're working like three jobs to, Just to pay, pay off the rest and then, I mean, LA rent, look at it. It's like, I know, it's, it's crazy. Outrageous. So trying to afford some, some place to live, like you can afford maybe food and other things, but not all of them Because together. of her platform. This is, this is what Caitlin... This is what Caitlyn's celebrity has brought that is so great. Okay. And because of Caitlyn's platform and celebrity, and because she aligned herself with Bruin Shelter, they got their biggest donation a few months ago than in the history of their organization. Really? What yeah. was that? What kind of donation did they get? It was a ten thousand dollar donation from someone that happened to show up at the meet. They'd never been to gymnastics meet, and they saw that we were raising money that meet for Bruin Shelter, and then they saw Caitlin's video and they were like, well, everything about this is great and I want to contribute. So I think it was an anonymous donation and it was 10 grand. That's amazing. So then like you, you, then you're able to use your platform for that. Now that really is using it for good. That's I, what she does though. That's why I want her to read one of her poems because it's, no, that's she's amazing. She's not about just me, me, me. She's not about celebrity. She's not about look how pretty I am. Look at all that. She really is about helping humanity. Uh, yeah, but, but let's hear your poem. It's called Self-Hatred Goodbyes. The taunting that never ends when you go in for a bite. That one thing that tastes so good but doesn't feel so right. So that one bite goes untaken. That food is to be forsaken. Feeling so weak my bones are breaking. But if I bite, I'll be mistaken. And in the morning, I'll reawaken. Hating myself all over again when I look in the mirror. But today, that image has never been clearer. I've been consumed with the thought that bigger is synonymous to less than. That only those people with the perfect bodies have the right to stand. But today, here today I stand with a love that penetrates deeper than any wedding band. Because I am my own size and no, no words or judgmental stares will make me compromise. For the bittersweet satisfaction that lays between my eyes and my thighs, I finally got my cake and ate it too for my old self-ties. And today, my self-hatred says it's goodbyes. That's really good. I'm, 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 oh, no, I'm tearing too. That's beautiful. That really is really good. I know. I thought about a podcast. That's really, really good. Okay, that's very beautiful. Yeah. You would cry with this one. Can I read my new one? Yes. <coughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. Okay, so I went to a play um, when I was in New York this past weekend, and it was called What the Constitution Means to Me, and it's kind of how females do not play a part in the Constitution at all. And so, uh, Disclaimer, also, um, in high school, I feel like I didn't have a lot of self-worth, so I was attracted to men that looked a lot like my coaches, my male coaches, which were not always the most positive and more so my abusive side. Anyways. Her first boyfriend was physically abusive. Yeah. How old were you with your first boyfriend? 16, so I had I dated him for a year and a half until I was done in college. Wow. Yeah. Can you read this? Fighting for life as I fight, for you fight with both fists to hold on. Those days of love long gone, and as I turn to walk away, your hands they grab me and pull me in. In my heart, it breaks, forgiving you every sin. 
with each piece of me you take and I make excuses for you like I deserve to be hit and remember that day that you spit on my face when all I remember is how my heart would race. Somehow managing to convince myself that this was love, the symbol of a dove becoming ironic because I couldn't find my wings to fly, weighed down by the tears that I cried, wishing my love for you would just die like Rachel Gonzalez's kids that took the wrath of an abusive ex, whose court case was just as perplexed as it is to leave. For the deaths we still grieve, and I think about what used to hold me back. Being in love with the person you were when the abuse you got, a pact to myself to not give up hope on progress made, even if it takes looking through a microscope. An excuse I made, not afraid of you, but terrified of me, feeling unworthy as if that's all I would ever be. And we see what it's like for some that try to leave, fighting for breath or fighting to breathe. Wow. That's so, I don't know what to do. I, do I have you too? I think, yeah, I, I think I have you too. Oh my gosh. Ooh, that's really well, beautifully oh, written. Oh my gosh. Seriously. She's got a she's got a big platform. She's got a big voice. She's got um it's it's so exciting to see a twenty-two year old that is really fighting for the people that can't fight for themselves. That right? is that absolutely you need to do something with this. You need to put a poetry book together. So that's what I'm that's yeah. what I intend to do and as soon as I get downtime. So I have like all my poems that I want to put in one and it'll be like all activism which ranges from um, the females in abusive relationships to uh, body shaming, bullying, mental health, racism and things like that and so I want to work on the photography behind this. Right. It's amazing. Jen, she is, there's, she's the most watched sports video in 2019, right? Which is why right. she's up for NSP. Yay. Oh, you are? For that? Yeah. Oh, and amazing. Teen Choice. Yeah. Yeah. And a Teen Choice? Yeah. You're and up for a Teen Choice Award? Teen yeah. Choice, yeah. And, and an SB. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what was my point? Uh, no point. <laughs> she just wanted to no get point. that out there. No so no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Both. Have we got to one person? We got No, I mean, first of all, yes, everybody, we need to vote a lot. Vote, vote, vote. But the point was, as much joy as her video has brought the world that has seen it, she still has gotten body shamed on social media. Really. Well, I mean, when there's a hundred plus million well, people that have right seen now. the video, how could you not hear something negative? It's always, and that's so, so funny too, it's not even just body shaming. Like I remember ESPN posted the video on Instagram and a majority of them were like, oh, why isn't she in the kitchen cooking? And I'm like, I'm such a feminist. I'm like, oh, uh-uh, you didn't. I'm like, really? that's crazy. And then like people, I, I saw a lot of people like, Talking about how my body was deformed, I'm like, I get. I mean, I, is that a bad or good thing? Because like, it allows me to do a lot of stuff I do. So absolutely, <laughs> you, I can't even believe that people would about someone who who can do who can who is that who has that ability to do that physically, and they still get shamed for their body. I cannot. I can't imagine it. I know, I know. And why are they not? How much of the joy and the, I mean, the amazingness of that video are they overlooking? Well, it's because, it's because of that. Is it about right. them? It's not about you. It's not about that. I mean, I mean, you're 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 wise. You're probably you, you seem like you've an old soul. So I would imagine you're 
You're wise beyond your years. You know that's not about you. They're doing yeah. that because of them. They're unhappy with themselves. I, I learned that a while back. She's like everything. Yeah. yeah. What? Go ahead. I feel like okay. everything someone does isn't about you. It's about themselves. And hurt people hurt people. And it, that's 100%. Hurt people hurt people. You can't take it personally. It's like, but why is it so prevalent in your, in, in this world as well? That I'm what? Oh, I was going to say this generation. Well, this generation is because of social media yeah. and, and you have such access. And like you're saying, you're so, you're an open person anyway. With that, with social media, people are, people feel like they have it. It's their right to say whatever they want to say and do whatever they want and body shame and bully and do all these things. It's like, that's why, but you put yourself on a platform like that and it becomes like, magnified so much more right mm -hmm. but you seem to have a good head on your shoulders it's real and it's still really hard not to get hurt by those things i think she wears all of this as a badge of honor because she realizes look at me speaking for you this is what i've noticed for me okay she realizes that our imperfections are what make us beautiful and so even when she if she's going to do a photo shoot and they ask what she wants to wear she has markings that oh, you didn't see today. She, oh gee it bruises all over no, your no. stomach that's not it's, it's like a skin condition. Oh, it's not cupping? Mm -mm. Uh, it's a skin condition? Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's called granuloma annular. It's an autoimmune disease. Basically, they're really just there. Like, it doesn't affect me in any way. Is it on your stomach? Mm -hmm. I've never seen that yeah. before. It's just discoloration, basically. Mm -hmm. But she yeah. loves it. But okay. she, this, if, if she's given the choice, they say, what do you want to wear? She wants to show, show this it. off and talk about it. She will. <laughs> You're a good role model. You really are. You should be on a Wheaties box. I swear. You should. Someone should contact Wheaties. I'm telling you, or the or the equivalents in 2019 to Wheaties. Some some like vegan organic cereal box of some kind. Seriously, because you really are the real deal. Like you are. You are authentic, genuinely like a good role model. Like for real. Right. No, she is, and she doesn't. I mean, there's doesn't even cross her mind to make excuses for things. It's like, look who I am, and I'm beautiful, and I'm different than you, and that makes us all unique. And the fact that we are all unique is what makes us this world so cool. And she lives that every moment of her day. So Val, because you've been around this for 29 years, how many people have been like Caitlin? Can you like how many people are as special as this? Because that's not this is not my world. You see people like this similar daily. What? <laughs> You're such that. a brat. Yeah. But, <laughs> I was just thinking of things. That you Are you this say. close with everybody? Uh, I am this close with the student athletes that really want to get close with me. Because you think mm -hmm. about it, you, you've got 20 athletes on the team. I and know, I know that some of them say, some of them told other people, I've heard, I want, I want to have a relationship with this gal like Caitlin does. But relationships are a two-way street. Absolutely true. So it's because she meets you halfway, basically. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, but how many times have you seen someone, and I know you're in a podcast, you don't, you don't want to say anything that would be hurtful, I get that, but you're an honest lady. How many people that you see in your 29 years have been this level, all, like an all-around good human, tremendously talented? A lot. This, on a, I mean, a lot? lot on the team now. Yeah. That are like that. Yeah. There are, I would say there are a lot that are like this. There are, there are more great human beings out there than not. Um, I would say the difference is Caitlin has chosen to take the courage to step forward 
in a massive platform, understanding that, you know, when we take a step forward courageously, there's no guarantee of a result. And she has seen that on social media and she's not afraid. She has, like you, she's very much like you. You've got the, the, the platform and you've got, you know what justice looks like in this world and you are not afraid to step out in any way, whether it's podcast, on TV, all your interviews, TED Talk, whatever you're doing to make the world a better place. Some people just don't have the energy and the de desire to want to do that. Or the interest. Or the interest. Or the plain and simple, the interest to do it. Right? She does. She does. And so do you. And so do I. Right. Which let's get, let's roll it back here because I've got so many things I know. It's like we're probably like five hours into this podcast. But, um, okay, so daily, can you please tell us what you required from, from the girls? So, like, for example... Like not wearing, uh, oh. <laughs> like you know, Miss Val is, right. has a lot of rules. I do, um, and we haven't even gone through that stuff. No, the most the most important thing is simply to have integrity in everything you do. And so, even if you're going to go up to somebody and say, "I'm really upset with you," what you said the other night on social, or what you said this other, um, have integrity with and have intention. Like know why you're doing what you're doing in life, and that really. I've always kind of lived like that, but that understanding hit a whole nother level four years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer. And I realized that, you know, we, we all have an expiration date. We just don't know when ours is. And I didn't want to waste one day of my life. Did you keep, you kept on working, right? Mm -hmm. When you were, when you were diagnosed? I was very blessed. I got targeted chemotherapy, which is, oh, yeah. hopefully that is the future of all chemo. It acts like a smart bomb. And it just goes through your, instead of going through your right, body and exploding, it doesn't explode until it finds the cancer cells. So I, I didn't lose my hair. I didn't get sick. I was fatigued. What stage was it then? One. One. Okay. That's I was very blessed. Yeah. Um, but that, the, the rules that are in the book that are rather frivolous, there's a reason behind them. And it's like, no gum. Okay. Well, I don't have, like people go, why do you hate gum? It's like, I don't hate gum. I actually like gum. But I just want, I want to help them know that everything you're doing, like she said, everything you do in life is a choice. So if she's going to show up for this interview with you chewing gum, I at least want her to know she's chewing gum. Like make the choice whether you want to or Why, not. Why could you think it looks ugly? It looks, it looks cheap. What's the? It's what's annoying. The, it's, a, it's also like. Like not classy, like right. what's your yeah, all those is that also the reason why you don't like to have um, a wristband hair, a hair tie around your wrist? Well, I feel the ubiquitous hair tie on female wrists now is has is just part of the dress. And yeah, so that's why mine's in my pocket. I told you that already. Yes, you took it out. Yes. As she took her well, I told well, her no, she's Caitlin did not take it off. You I took it off for her. Because uh, does she want to go into an interview with this beautiful outfit and a hair tie? On her wrist? Just know. And if you want the hair tie on your wrist, then wear it. Great. Then what are the other ones? Go through the list. Um, no pants, no clothes, pants dragging on the floor because right. especially during finals week, they the show schmutz. up. It what are they dragging? Yeah. All sorts of ugh. Schmutz comes on the pants and they go into their bed. I saw that. Right. And then like they're just dragging. And then when the we travel, you know, they have beautiful bodies, but when they're putting their luggage up. On the airplane, I saw this happen a few times, and their tops come up, and their bellies are showing, 
and the lech that is sitting in the aisle seat is just staring at them. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to give people reason to think these lecherous thoughts about you. So there's a reason behind it. There's a reason. And then I also read that every year you make the girls take um, a personality test. Okay, personality test. Right. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's called the Enneagram. And just like everything in life, I don't believe in putting people in a box. So the people that don't believe in personality assessments, the majority of them feel that it's, it gives you an excuse for being the way you are. Mm-hmm. And we make a point of saying that's not it. So the Enneagram is based on a lot of ancient wisdom of different relig- religions and philosophies and their, their commonalities. And it basically helps you figure out where you go to when you're not choosing your response mm-hmm. and where you go to. The fun part about it is where we go under stress. And that's where we really get raw and real and realize um, she and I are the same Enneagram. And when we get what under stress. You're, you're not number three. I thought, so I read, okay, let me just mm-hmm. preface this. So the Enneagram, there's like seven different, seven, nine. nine, sorry, there's nine different types of personalities. And um, you've got to go on, just go online and check mm-hmm. it out. It's how, what, what's the? It's Enneagram and you can take a free. You can take a free, you can take a free it's, uh, test really online. And it's super fascinating. It's different than Meyer-Briggs if you're into, I'm really into all these personality yeah. tests. But um, I did see that a lot of the Olympians are number three. Mm-hmm. Which is the achiever? Achiever. achiever. The achiever. I, which one are you, Caitlin? Number two, which is the uh, helper. The helper. So you're the helper, which I'm the helper, and you're the helper too. So when we get under stress, yeah, we go to being manipulative. Right. I saw that. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Do I get a high five here too, ladies? Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We get silent. Mm-hmm. We get passive aggressive. Yes. <laughs> oh my I, I thought most women would be in that one no I guess not it's yeah. it's amazing though I was thinking I'm like it, it's to a T some of, some of the stuff that is written in there it really is super interesting for people who are listening to that I, I, I had to bring that up so do people I mean every year so if you're on the team you're on the team the whole time right, right? for the whole so do people's uh, numbers change you see as yeah. you it's always the same well, okay because we didn't take it, at, I feel like we should take it at the beginning and the end of our college. That would be a good idea. Because we just take it coming in and then every year the new class takes it. But it would be interesting to see because I feel like my number changed. But yeah. I, retook, I retook the test and uh, my second number is a seven. And so that is what came up primarily like dominant. Did you know my what? second number is a seven? Which one is a seven? The enthusiast. I think I was the number seven too. Oh my god! That's so true. That's probably why. That is so funny. But I realized when I took it, I feel like my mental state. Like I realized that a lot that changed was like I didn't value one-on-one relationships as much, which I feel like it was just because of like heartbreaks and going through college yeah. you like realize different things but like my two still has to be dominant mm-hmm. because just how I answered and what the mind space that I took it in is why I got seven more so wow. in, in the time that we've given it so it's been nine years or ten years we've given it 
there were two student athletes that just really didn't resonate. I wrote this in the book as well. Yeah. And they were both, they took it in English. They were both foreign. And so when they took it in their own language, right. they came up with a different number. And that made more sense to us. Yeah. Wow. Because they were interpreting the words of the questions differently. Differently. Mm -hmm. Let's try it. Okay, that's it. I know. I know. We're going to wrap this up. There are they ever like, it's been, how long has it been, by the way? Uh, one hour. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, is there anything that I should be asking that I forgot? I mean, I know we've taken a bunch of tangents. Val, yes. I, I, I had like literally like, I didn't even get to like pack my stuff with you. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, you are going to have to come back. I'd love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Caitlin, you've got to be the sidekick and come back too. Because <laughs> we'll switch seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can talk about me. Yeah. Uh, no, no, exactly. But you are a great mouthpiece though. You answer perfectly. Yeah. She's so good. You're very well, you good. Know what? She's so amazing. You should be a media trainer in your next life. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really think so. What are you going to do? Okay, this finish. I know. Okay. That's my last question. Okay, now that you're okay, so Val, now you retired mm -hmm. after 29 years. Mm -hmm. You are in the Hall of Fame for being one of the best of all time, basically, mm -hmm. which is an amazing, obviously. Yeah. Feat. Um, what now? What's your next thing? I'm doing a lot of speaking, a lot internationally as well, which is fun. Um, I'm speaking about my book and how did a dancer choreographer become one of the winningest coaches. But I'm also speaking to, and I'm very passionate about speaking about um, our youth and about how much stress and anxiety that they are under this day mm -hmm. and age. More than there's more, there's more reported depression than ever in the history of humankind, and I feel that that stress level that children are under is on us adults. It's on parents and it's on coaches, mm -hmm. and we have got to change the narrative. And also, also social media again. Yes, it's, and that was another one of your rules. I saw no phones at dinner, right? right? Because people are just yeah, let's talk to each other. It's, it's also very rude when you're it's taking your phone rude. when you're supposed to be. I, I can't. That's one of my yeah. biggest pet peeves when you're trying to like talk to somebody and you're with somebody at dinner or lunch and they're like on their phone the whole time, mm -hmm. or like one person's on their phone and the other person's on their phone. Mm -hmm. Why even bother going out with each other? Do you do that, Caitlin? When you're twenty-two. Yes. I, I try to be okay about it, but men. it's obvious, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> She's good when she needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't checked your phone at all now, except for the, you know, for the yeah. poem, so that's, poems, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, listen, ladies, I have to say Thank this you. has been an amazing whatever how long it's been, and I really enjoyed you guys being on this podcast. Thank you. We did as well. Thank you for having us. No, thank you for coming. I really, like, great. I would continue, but I keep on getting, like, a... Hurry up! Get on. They're gonna play the music. Uh, they, yeah. I know they're gonna take that. You know that thing. The the hook yeah, and start like hooking us off. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. So yeah. where can we find you guys, Caitlin? Tell everyone where you are. Caitlin underscore Ohashi on Instagram and Twitter, and then my website is Caitlin dash Ohashi And if people just want your phone number, you'll just give you a phone number. Yeah, exactly. I live at, no, I'm kidding. Um, and Val, how about you? Officialmissval.com. Basically, you put that in, you'll find it somewhere. Somewhere, right? Well, yeah. thank you, ladies. And you. the book is called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And it really is a great read. I highly recommend it. And um, that's it, guys. I thank think we're, we're done here. It's a wrap. Thank you. It's a wrap. Awesome. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.